Well, this time of the rolling year is unquestionably the season of dreams. For as long as people have celebrated a winter festival, even before we Christians appropriated it, dreams and dreaming have been intimately linked, celebrated in poetry and in songs and in movies. While dreaming of a white Christmas may not have yielded the desired result this year, I'm, I'm sure that there are many folks sitting here today, long separated from family and loved ones by distance and, sadly, by time, who nevertheless made it home once again this year for Christmas, if only in their dreams. I know I did. We journey so far while we are dreaming. We visit many lands and we, we fly to the limits of human possibility and discover there, every once in a while, a place where we actually feel at home. Now, 21st century children may not see sugar plums dancing in their heads anymore while they sleep on Christmas Eve, but I'll bet that there were a few who had visions of the Elsa travel doll from Frozen or a Nintendo Switch light that magically appeared under their trees the next morning. These cold, dark nights naturally lend themselves to dreaming and wishing and stargazing. And as we approach another new year, only two days from now, it becomes our fervent hope that many of our most treasured dreams might just become reality as we walk together into that great unknown. Now, psychologists tell us that dreaming is essential to enjoying a healthy life. While we sleep, dreams weave our conscious and our unconscious lives together. They bring order to the confusion that we experience during our waking hours. They help us to prioritize our needs and bring balance again when life seems unstable. But dreams can only have one owner at a time. And so dreaming, as a result, can be a very lonely experience. My guess is that were we to ask him today, St. Joseph would tell us that that was exactly how he felt that first Christmas. Frightened, to be sure, uncertain, undoubtedly, but also at times probably very much alone, a stranger in a strange new land where no one had ever trod before. You see, our Joseph is a dreamer. And like us, he didn't confine his dreaming only to those hours when he was asleep. From our very first encounter with him, it is impressed upon us that he was a pious man, a religious man, who believed that his life was guided by God and by his law. He had probably been taught from his childhood, like many of us, that if he just followed the rules, his dreams would come true. His own father probably encouraged him to dream about what his life might look like if he applied himself and worked hard. And, and Joseph appears to have taken that dream very seriously, too. He actually becomes a skilled carpenter, a craftsman who had been much in demand in the little town of Nazareth. And like other young men with some money behind them, 
He had dreams for a family of his own, one that in keeping with the Jewish custom of his day would be bursting with sons because they would be seen by his neighbors as a blessing on him. These dreams, had they materialized, would have set Joseph on the conventional path of success that made him the envy of his friends. But to quote that great contemporary theologian, Woody Allen, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. All of a sudden, as we heard last week, the woman of his dreams, Mary, she's pregnant. He's not the dad. His dream of a traditional, uncomplicated family life is suddenly shattered. But Joseph, it seems, was a patient and thoughtful man who remained open to God's shifting plans. And when that plan was explained to him, Joseph took Mary as his wife and lovingly embraced her child as his own in this great mystery that we call Christmas. Wouldn't that be a lovely, happily ever after place to end his story? But it's not. Joseph's dreams suddenly turn into nightmares. The child, whom he now knows is at the heart of God's dream for salvation and the restoration of this sad old world, this child who's been entrusted to his care, he suddenly has a price on his head. Herod the Great has heard from some visiting wise men that a new king of the Jews has been born, one whose kingdom is in fact going to last forever. And this is a serious problem because, you see, Joseph isn't the only one with dreams. Herod's dream of total control, total power, total domination was so vivid that by this time he had already killed one wife and several of his sons, believing that they were working against his dreams. And now a new king has appeared on the horizon, and Herod is feeling desperate. And we all know what happens when powerful men feel cornered. The innocent suffer. They always have. To a man like him, what's a few dozen infant boys in Bethlehem to stand in his way? Today, you could just as easily substitute the children of Afghanistan or South Sudan, Syria, or Iraq, and the same sad story applies. But Joseph has a divine new dream. He must protect his small family and everything that this little son of his represents. There is no time to lose, and so in the middle of the night, he rouses Mary and wakes her sleeping child, and they walk some 350 kilometers over unfriendly terrain to reach the haven of Egypt, hoping against all hope that they might just find welcome there. It's the part of the Christmas story that can neither be sanitized nor sentimentalized, which may be why it never shows up in the Christmas pageants. This father, desperate to get his wife and child to peace and safety, joins that train of refugees that has been crisscrossing this planet of ours for millennia, the same ones that we here in this cathedral help to resettle because they too have dreams that need to be fulfilled. In this respect, they are 
absolutely no different from that displaced little family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But it's so close to Christmas. With glad carols still singing in our ears, what's the good news in all of this? What possible silver lining can there be in these tales of bloodthirsty, paranoid kings and slaughtered innocents and blameless villagers being forced from their homes? Well, I think it's this. That Joseph not only saves this child, who will ultimately save us, but that Joseph's dreams, so intertwined and so enmeshed with God's own, they then become the stuff of Jesus' dreams as well. With Herod dead, the little family returns home, and there in Nazareth, Jesus, we are told, grows in wisdom and maturity like any other child. But he didn't do that all by himself. Jesus would have listened to and learned from Joseph and his dreams as they worked side by side at his carpenter's bench or or shared meals in the kitchen of their little home or while they walked to and from the synagogue on a Sabbath morning. And so I wonder this. Could it be that Joseph, this humble carpenter from Nazareth, who allowed God's dreams of mercy and justice, forgiveness and love to reshape his own, Might it be that in some small way, he provided his foster son with a loving model of divine fatherhood that Jesus eventually shared with us when he taught us to call God our Father? That's the influence of parents. I wonder if it mightn't have been from Joseph that Jesus first heard those words, Judge not, lest you be judged as he looked over at his beloved Mary and knew what might have been had he doggedly clung to his original dreams. Could it have been from them, from both of them, that he first learned to do unto others as you would have done unto you, or to love your neighbor as yourself? How awesome it must have seemed to Joseph to know that he had the God-given responsibility to shape the dreams of this very special child who would, in the end, reshape this world. So here we are now, two millennia later, on the threshold of another new year, full of our own hopes and dreams. And some of those dreams we will even resolve to make happen. The question that Joseph poses for us this morning is this. Are we willing to alter our hopes and plans and dreams to allow God's dream to become a reality for us, for our church, for this parish, for our world? And what exactly does God dream? Well, for centuries, he's been telling us exactly what he dreams through the prophets and, above all, through his son, the child that Joseph saved. God dreams that love will triumph over hate, that peace will be preferred to war, that forgiveness will replace a grudge, that we will learn to be inclusive communities rather than exclusive ones, that we will work for the justice of all, 
and not just privilege a few. That truth will be firmly embraced and lies utterly rejected. That we might become good stewards of this planet and not the instruments of its destruction. God dreams that we will realize that what we do in places like our Tuesday drop-in center, caring for those who wander our lonely streets, is more vitally important than often what happens in Ottawa or Washington. God dreams that his church might recover its voice once again and proclaim with Mary, his son's mother, that God has cast down the mighty from their thrones and is lifting up the lowly. God's dream is that we will personally take the time this coming year to know him, to speak with him, to love him, and to be his presence in this world. Because this world of ours needs more divine dreamers. Unreasonable souls who fight the urge to be ordinary in order to make God's world extraordinary. Amen.